Okay, is this live? Okay, all right, thanks everyone for coming. I assume if you've clicked on this, you're thinking to yourself, who do these people think they are? They're not even ready for their own show to start, and they have the audacity to say that they know something about God, and also that they're going to give me specifics on what God looks like. This is going to be a train wreck. Well, you asked for it, so here it is. God looks like this. But actually, God only looks like that if you close your left eye. If you close your right eye, God looks like this. Simultaneously, God looks like and is this. However, the following is also an accurate depiction of God. So after that, you might be thinking, oh, well, the title was clickbait. Now, you said you were going to show what God looks like, then you just showed a bunch of stuff. This show is going to be a cop-out. Well, I can't assure you that it won't, but if it is, at least it will be a really in-depth, complex, and hopefully interesting cop-out. Okay, welcome back to Swedenborg and Life. Great to see you guys. Don't panic. There's new graphics. There's a new intro, all that. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, my name is still Curtis Childs. I'm still with the Swedenborg Foundation. Happy to have you here on a Monday night. Swedenborg Foundation is a nonprofit that looks to take Swedenborg's ideas, make them accessible, make them understandable, get them out into the conversation with the hopes they'll do some good in the world. Uh, I'm going to be taking us through a show today, but I want you guys to be a part of it, and you can comment, you can question, you can be part of the action. The second half of the show is actually going to be a live Q&A, so if you want to write your comments in wherever you are, Facebook, YouTube, etc., and then get them in. Uh, second half of the show, we'll take a look at them. We want to hear what you think. So today, we're looking at what God looks like. I mean, that's our show title. And if we're going to tackle something like that, I feel like we need to break it down into its elements. So to get to something like what God looks like, we have to know what is looking at something and what is God, the thing we're looking at. So first of all, let's take a look at sight. So uh, this is going to be a little bit of science class for you guys. You might say, hey man, we're supposed to be talking about spiritually kind of stuff here. Why are you going to bring science into it? But we got to take a look at the way the physical world works. Because from the physical world, we can get these clues about the spiritual world. And if we're going to be looking at sight and how it works, we're going to start by learning about how the eye works and how we receive images. But you don't really probably want me telling you about that because I don't know anything about it. But I went and asked a guy who does. If you really break sight down, I mean, we are at, at the most basic level perceiving light. And so I kind of think of it first as what is what we call visible light, what, what, what we perceive is actually to really narrow part of a much broader spectrum of uh, radiation, electromagnetic radiation. And we have the ability to, to actually perceive that radiation. So 
vision starts, the light enters the eye. Um, light's coming in from outside through my, my cornea. Goes through a lens. My, my lens then focuses that light uh, back on the retina. So that's, that's where the action happens, back on the retina. That's where the actual light-perceiving cells live. Then all of these, these cells, rods and cones together, bring in the light, and then through a pretty complicated process, they eventually send an image back to our, our visual processing center. So much processing happens initially right, right actually at the retinal surface. We have those you know, roughly 130 million rods six million cones, but then only about a million nerve cells actually taking information back to the visual center. So to get from those 136 million cells, but then to only have a million cells to run the information, we're, we're doing a lot of processing right, right at that level, at the retinal level. The how much and exactly how that happens, I think there's still, there's still a lot of work to be done there. Um, so once that's happened there, now a nervous impulse goes, goes back to the visual centers in, in our, our uh, posterior brain, occipital lobe, is, is where we actually process vision. All right, all right. Are you still with me? Okay. I, I loved hearing about that. When I went to interview him, I was like, that's interesting. Tell me more. Some people, we might start to lose you if we get too much of that kind of stuff in there. Uh, but it's important because we got to learn about how the physical works to understand how the spiritual world works. But you don't see God with your physical sight. Uh, you see God with your spiritual sight. Now remember that, that little asterisk that popped up there? We're going to return to that later in the show. That's a signifier for this concept of you don't see God with your physical sight, you see God with your spiritual sight. And let me just get a little quote from Swedenborg that describes that phenomenon. This is from Secrets of Heaven 4405. The sight of the body answers perfectly to the sight of its spirit, and therefore to the intellect. So the paradigm, the Swedenborg sort of spiritual paradigm, is that there's a spiritual world and a physical world, and the two are constantly linked, and they actually have sort of part-counterpart. So we were learning all that stuff about how the eye works, how physical sight works, and there is a a ratio between how that's happening in our physical bodies and how it happens in the sight of the spirit, which Swedenborg says is the understanding. Like, our ability to comprehend things is the sight of the spirit. Does that make sense? You know, people will say, oh, I see. If they get something, that's sort of showing that link, that we sort of get it at a subconscious level, that seeing is understanding for the spirit. So if we can look at how the physical stuff works, we can have sort of a sense of some of the components that go into the spiritual sight. And what I want to draw out of the interview that we showed is that he's saying that there's a lot of processing that goes on in us. It's not just like the image is there and then bam, you're seeing it. There's all this action happening on the retina where a bunch of information is turned into much less information. So there's decoding there. There's more decoding in the brain. And that's going to be an important part later. So there's some stuff that doesn't all have to make sense right now, but it's our first building block. So now that we got sight taken care of, let's take a look at God. (laughs) 
So God is a fairly big topic, and we're going to try to look at God, but we got to have a little sense of what what part of God, how, what are we looking at that is God. And this, you can go a million different ways with this. Uh, there's a lot of opinions on God, everything from God is the sum total of everything. God is the, the total of all consciousness and all matter and all experience, to God is a complete figment of people's imaginations, to that God is a, affiliated with a particular religion, and you have to obey particular rules to get to him, all this stuff. Uh, there's great videos out there on YouTube about that. Just search it. You'll find it. For this particular video, we're going to go with a definition from Swedenborg. Uh, and this comes from Divine Love and Wisdom 28. The true divine essence is love and wisdom. So that may make it a little clearer. It may not. Um, to kind of get a little deeper into this definition, I called up somebody who has a lot of work with uh, translating Swedenborg and getting in there and really understanding the meaning. Hello? Hey, Cara, this is Curtis. You may remember me. I have a little show on the internet that you were a guest on before. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I'm wondering about in Swedenborg. I'm reading a sentence that says, the true divine essence is love and wisdom. Uh, so what does he mean by that? So he's talking about what God really is. What is it that makes up God? Let's see, love. The Latin word for that is amor. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like the driving force behind everything, That the essence that everything comes down to, that everything is really made of, is divine love. And the wisdom, the Latin for that is sapientia, great word. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's like the form that love can take. In, in order for it to accomplish anything. It's like having a desire to do something and then having the know-how to do it. So the wisdom would be the, the know-how to accomplish what love demands or something like that. Yeah, so sort of like uh, what we would think of when we hear the words love and wisdom, but just on an expanded kind of essential scale. Yeah, yeah, bigger, deeper, yeah, more universal, yeah. Cool, all right, thanks very much. Okay. Bye. See ya. So that was a good use of my cell phone minutes there. It was a real phone call, by the way. I know we didn't just like take her voice and put a filter on. That was legit. Um, so what we're seeing there is there's these two aspects of God that we're focusing on, divine love, divine wisdom. Now, these first two segments have kind of been like vegetables. You know, they, we're, we're getting these parts together so we can go look at the fun stuff. But hopefully you've got it. We have sight. We have spiritual sight, which is the understanding with which you can see God. This is the mechanism with which you could see God. And then you have some of the nature of God, which is this divine love, divine wisdom. So if you can fit all that into your brainscape, these next parts will flow much more smoothly. So let's put them together and let's see what we get. So in the beginning of the show, if you're watching at the beginning, we just were throwing all these images at you, and we said, oh, God looks like this, the sun, God looks like this, the moon. But what, what, what gives us the right to say things like that? And that right comes from the following passage from Swedenborg in Heaven and Hell 118. And if you guys aren't familiar with Swedenborg, he's getting this stuff. This is basically him recording his spiritual experiences that he had. So he's talking here about what he saw when he was in the spirit. As for the Lord's actually appearing in heaven as the sun, this is something I have not simply been told by angels, but have also been allowed to see a number of times. 
The Lord does not appear as a sun in the heavens, but high above them, and not directly overhead, but in front of angels at a middle elevation. He appears in two places, and this is where this comes from, in one for the right eye and in another for the left, noticeably far apart. For the right eye, he looks just like a sun, with much the same fire and size as our world's sun. For the left eye, though, he does not look like a sun, but like a moon, with similar brilliance, but more sparkling, and with much the same size as our Earth's moon, but he seems to be surrounded by many apparent lesser moonlets. Moonlets is a great word, huh? Each similarly brilliant and sparkling. The reason the Lord appears in two places so differently is that he appears to people according to their receptiveness. The reason he appears to our eyes is that the deeper levels of the mind see through the eyes, looking from the good of love through the right eye and from the good of faith through the left eye. You see, everything on the right side of an angel or one of us corresponds to what is good and yields truth, while everything on the left side corresponds to that truth that comes from what is good. So a little technical Swedenborgian at the end, but give him a little credit for having that left hemisphere, right hemisphere down before uh, science had really caught up there. Um, And I want to point out that he talks about God appearing in these ways based on a receptivity, which goes back to the retinal surface and how you're, you're making a picture out of the light based on what you're like, not necessarily based on what it's like. So he talks about God appearing as a sun and a moon, but he's the, this is the sun, that's what it looks like, uh, our, our artist's rendition of it. And is he the, But is he the only one that's ever seen God or, or some kind of divine essence as something like that? No, man, there's a lot of people. Let's go first to modern near-death experiences. This is from the International Association for Near-Death Studies website. A lot of good resources on there if you would just want to read people's stories, see what kind of research is done on these experiences. Read a few here. My first me- visual memory was looking forward and seeing a brilliant, bright light almost like looking directly at the sun. A tremendous amount of warmth and love came from the light. And another one, I saw a white light, the brightest light I have ever known or will ever see again. It was so bright, yet it did not blind me. It was a welcome, calming light. As for the light, it was then and remains so my encounter with the most powerful of all entities, the giver of life on both sides of the curtain. So the idea of this, you know, the giver of life as an emanation of light. It's pretty common, and not just in experiences that individuals report, but in the major traditions of the world. If you take a look at the holy scriptures of different traditions in the Quran, God is the light of the heavens and the earth. In the Mundaka Upanishad, there shines not the sun, neither moon nor star. The Lord is the light reflected by all. And in the book of Revelation, they need no no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And you also, of course, in what we call mythology, there's all kinds of images of sun gods and all these things. So finding God as a sun is pretty uh, easy to do. But the moon, the moon doesn't necessarily pop up in the same way. And I was looking through trying to research on this, and I came across something that freaked me out. And it did because uh, I consider it to be a very cool coincidence. So I want to take you along this little journey with me, and hopefully it will strike you as it's hip as it struck me. So first, it's from a guy who had a near-death experience and recorded it and wrote it down. We're first going to take you through the sun side of it. He said he encountered God as a sun and then as a moon, just like Swedenborg. So here's the sun part. This is from neardeath.com, which is the other major near-death experience website. You guys can go check the rest of this experience out. It's quite interesting. So he says, presently this light stopped at a distance right above me. It was a sun about the same size as the sun of our world, but it was indescribably brighter. Then something happened that I would never, never forget. 
Love, pure, utter love, came pouring down on me with incredible warmth. This being of light loved me deeply, infinitely deeply, and more and more intensively. So I like to include that too because Swedenborg, you know, loved the guy, but he doesn't always, it's not always like that, like love talking about how wonderful it was, at least in, in sort of modern terminology. So it's good to just realize these encounters aren't just like, oh, you know, there's, there's God. This is like a mind-blowing experience. So he had this with his son which is cool. A lot of people have that. Um, But the plot gets a lot thicker now. Suddenly, the sun disappeared and I saw a moon. I was in a different world. Everything was black but the moon, which was right in front of me. It was much clearer and more refulgent than the moon in our world. There was not a trace of blackness in it. The moon was surrounded by a wreath of little bright stars. So there you have very specific imagery repeated from Swedenborg's experience to this guy's modern near-death experience, which I thought was really cool. Although he does say that they were stars. Swedenborg calls them moonlets, which you would assume is little moons, but I feel like that's pretty close for something like that. Um, but, you know, that's probably as close as the two descriptions will get. Um, but let's just read a little more anyway, just in case. I kept staring at this shiny moon when suddenly I felt a strange sensation entering through my left eye and spreading into the deepest recesses of my brain. So bam, right there. I was joking. It does get more connected. Just like Swedenborg says the moon is associated with the left eye, this guy's saying the moon is associated with the left eye. I was wondering about the fact that I could distinctly see the moon with my left eye that had always been weaker than my right one. And I suddenly realized that right in front of me were all the answers to any questions we might have on Earth. I tried to pinpoint this place by looking at the left side of the moon and counting the little bright stars. So there you have, not only is there a moon, uh, the God appearing as both a sun and a moon, but also this moon has a little ring of stars around it, and it has to do with the left eye, and it has to do with knowledge. That, the, the, the connection couldn't be any tighter. Uh, the only thing missing is that he said they were little stars, and Swedenborg said they were little moons. But you can't ask for everything, right? Let's just finish this up. Uh, however, in doing so, I realized they were not stars, but in turn, little moons. Only then did I realize I was looking at the moon with my left eye while my right eye was closed. I wanted to open my right eye to see that sun again, but I was not able to. So here you have, across these hundreds of years, whatever process is happening in Swedenborg to make him see the sun and the moon in those ways as God was happening in this guy too. So if we pull up that moon again from the beginning, somehow this is a picture of the left eye side of God. This is a picture of God in the knowledge side, the wisdom side, where the sun was for love. So, you know, there's always a chance that that guy who recorded that experience had read Swedenborg and just made that up, but I find it unlikely that Swedenborg's description of the moon is just tucked away in one of many of his books, and what motivation would that guy have to uh, make up an experience like Swedenborg's and not even link it to Swedenborg and his thing, but it's up to you to decide if that's, if that's coincidence or uh, if fake or the real thing or whatever. Hopefully it was entertaining either way, but in the beginning, we flashed these other images of what God looks like, and there'd be many people who would be watching up to now and say, well, there's no way God just looks like a sun and a moon. So if God looks like more things, how is this possible? And we get a clue in Swedenborg's Divine Love and Wisdom 125. And this is like a weird Swedenborg thing. He's talking about sort of spiritual geography and physics here, uh, but hopefully it'll all make sense. Since the regions, and he's talking about regions of the spiritual world, are variations in the way angels accept love and wisdom, I need to say something about the variety that gives rise to the appearance. 
As I explained in the preceding section, the Lord is in each angel, and each angel is in the Lord. So God is, is in us, as many people say. However, it looks as though the Lord as the Son were outside angels. When angels are engaged in the love for Him that comes from Him, they do see Him straight ahead. So they are in the east or west. When they are more engaged in wisdom, though, they see the Lord off in the right. And when they are less engaged in wisdom, they see him off to the left. So they are respectively in the north or the south. So it's basically saying that God is this central point, and where you are moves around in relation to God, depending on how you're relating to God. So there's all this depending on how you're relating to God. It's like the retinal surface of the eye. There's light coming in, but how it affects your vision depends on how you're messing around with it, interpreting it. So perhaps that's why there are other ways God appears as well. So if I was going to say those are the only two ways God appears, a lot of people would say, what about the movie Bruce Almighty? In Bruce Almighty, I always mention that movie, uh, Morgan Freeman appears, and Morgan Freeman is God, and Morgan's a person, right? And obviously, there's a million places where God appears as a person. So uh, how does all that work? Um, so we're going to take a look at some places. First of all, we're going to start with a quote from Swedenborg where he talks about how God appears as a person. So this is from Heaven and Hell 80. Since angels do not perceive an invisible divine being, which they call a formless divine, but a visible divine being in human form, it is common practice for them to say that the Lord, only the Lord is a person, and that they are people because of him. They also say that each of us is human in proportion to our acceptance of him. So here you have this idea that God, we're, it's not like we look like people, and look at that, God happens to look like a person too, that we get our humanness as an emanation from God. So that's one side of it, but, but why else would God appear as a human? This is from Swedenborg's True Christianity 787. Um, there is one God who can be seen, within whom is the God that cannot be seen, like a soul in a body. This is the only way we can form a partnership with God. Because we are earthly and we think in earthly ways, and such a partnership must be formed in our thinking and then in the desires that belong to our love. This occurs when we think of God as a human being. So God in a human form performs a service that other forms can't. We as people are used to uh, interacting with humans, right? We're used to conversing with them, developing relationship. If you think of love, we experience that most fully with other human beings, right? So God being in that form gives us access to that kind of relationship. And it's not just Swedenborg that reports God as a human being. You find this in modern near-death experiences too. This is from neardeath.com. Just a few to prove that I can back up what I'm saying. I've looked to, I looked to my right and could see a silver form appearing like a silhouette through mist. As it approached, I began to feel a deep sense of love that encompassed all the meanings of the word. It was though I were seeing a lover, mother, and best friend multiplied a thousandfold. As the being of light came closer, these feelings of love intensified until they became almost too pleasurable to withstand. So, and then one from the International Association for Near-Death Studies website, ians.org, there was a standing figure in the light, shaped like a normal human being, but with no distinct facial features. It had a masculine presence. The light I have described seemed like it emanated from that figure. Light rays shone all around him. I felt very protected 
and safe and loved. And so even there, you see some variation. I would imagine it's from a similar mechanism. You know, this is the, they were positioning around God, the way you receive God would sort of even change the human experience. But it's not just modern uh, experiences as well. In the Hindu tradition, uh, there is this concept of the avatar, of God taking on a human form. Uh, this is from Vedanta.org. Swami Shivanda, one of Ram- Ramakrishna's <laughs> disciples, said, If God does not come down as a human being, how will human beings love him? This is why he comes to human beings as a human being. You know, if this stuff is all true, it's got to show up in a lot of places, right? The Bhagavad Gita declared thousands of years ago, when goodness grows weak, when evil increases, I make myself a body. And that's the concept of the avatar, that God coming as a human can get these things done. So certainly God appears as a human, and maybe more often than anything else. But that wasn't all we showed in the beginning. There was a couple other images we flashed too. So let's take a look now at everything else God can look like. So, yeah, God also looks like everything else. And <laughs> you could say, hey man, why did you guys waste my time with those first two segments? Couldn't you just have lumped everything into the everything segment and then you'd be set? But it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. It's a different system here. And I want to look at that first in another Swedenborg quote. This is from Divine Love and Wisdom 59. Well, the created universe is not God, it is from God. And since it is from God, his image is in it like the image of a person in a mirror. We do indeed see a person there, but there's still nothing of the person in the mirror. So I looked at this quote and I was like, well, maybe I know what it is, but before I get too carried away with myself, maybe I better take it to somebody who really knows what it's talking about. I love that quotation because there's a sense in there of how everything reflects something of the divine. Uh, And I think you see this in the near infinity of different types of creatures that exist in our world uh, for all the centuries that people have been trying to study and document all these different things they're always finding new insects um, new species that they've never seen before they go down to the bottom of the ocean and there's something there that you never saw in fact there's a whole world there's a whole ecosystem of things that are living together and you know uh, interacting down there you look out into space they they train the Hubble telescope telescope on a part of the sky that's supposed to be the blankest most boring part of the sky and it's just full of thousands tens of thousands of galaxies Um, we get a little glimpse of the infinity of god through this kind of reflection in the natural world i've contemplated the force of gravity the way that it's unopposed you have these strong forces electromagnetism and so forth that are have equal and opposite reactions then you have this intensely, this incredibly weak force, which is gravity, but it's unopposed, and it's a force of attraction. And it goes out, and it's, and it's able, across these vast reaches, to swing the galaxies around. Sometimes they just dance in between each other like this in space, and, and uh, there's something of God in the, in the fact of gravity. I think it's a picture of that divine, attractive force that brings us toward God. So he's listing these phenomena that we come across in the world and saying, in this you can see an aspect of God. In species diversity you can see an aspect of God. In the force of gravity you can see an aspect of God. In how much there is out there. And what Swedenborg is describing is that it's through what we understand about all this stuff. Remember that asterisk from before? 
You don't see God with your sight, you see God with your understanding. So when we know things about the world and what they are, that can actually give us a picture of God. Does that sound weird? Let me give you an example to kind of make it real. Uh, Swedenborg actually specifically writes about, you know if you um, start studying outer space, he was mentioning gravity, galaxies, um, the scale that things are on starts to get ridiculous, it starts to get unrealistic. If you think about how much bigger the sun is than the earth, it's like, what? That doesn't, like, if somebody had just made it up, you'd say that, that's unrealistic, make them closer together. Or the distance between galaxies, like if you got in a spaceship, it would take you 20 trillion years to get to the next galaxy, or the number of galaxies, the number of stars, the scale of this is incredible. And Swedenborg says that, in knowing how big that stuff is, we get a sense of the magnitude and the power of God, that that is showing us just how much is going on in God. So, Let's take a look at what that looks like. This is footage from NASA. They, they filmed this flare on the surface of the sun. This is just one, in one of these like ejections of material, burning hot material that comes out of the surface of the sun. So they show this. This is actual footage of it. And in there, they put a little earth to scale. So you can see how big the earth would be next to this phenomena on the sun. And let's take a look at it. And you get a sense from this natural phenomenon of the power and magnitude of God. think about trying to drive across the country, your country, or drive across and drive a few thousand miles, how long, how big that is on the planet Earth. And then to think that the whole, the whole Earth could fit like six times inside just that flare off of the sun is incredible. And so what Swedenborg is saying is that we can see God in things like that, you know, in the magnitude of the generative power of seeds, that if plants were allowed to grow unchecked for multiple generations, they could fill everything. Those kind of things can give us pictures of God. And the more we see of the whole of the physical world, the more we can see of the nature of the divine. So we got that stuff laid out. We, we looked at what is sight, what is God, what are these forms that God appears in. But the big question is, why does it matter? So yeah, what, why would I be spending a lot of your time on Monday night talking about this stuff? What does it mean? What, and what I always want to know is what does it mean in our daily lives? Like how does it apply to human beings and their relationships and that kind of stuff? The way I see it, the strongest message from this is that you could have somebody say, I've seen God. I know what God looks like because I've seen God and God looks like the sun. And somebody else could come up and say, you're totally wrong. I saw God. I had a direct experience of God. God looks like the moon. Somebody else could say, no, God looks like a human being. What are you guys talking about? You're crazy. Someone else could say, I see God in everything. You're all wrong. You're restricting yourselves too much. And they could all be right. 
And the, the, I see this as an important thing for us to get right as human beings. You think about the conversation around religious stuff, it's often insane. People get so hyped up and so aggressive toward each other because we're saying different things. But what this is showing, if all this stuff is accurate, let's say it's all true, this stuff we laid out today, um, that shows that even something as singular as God can appear in different ways to different people. And you could take that and apply that to all kinds of aspects of life, to all kinds of conversations. If we could give each other enough of the benefit of the doubt to say, this person is saying different things than I am, but they, we might both be right. We might just be seeing it from different angles. There is, there is such a thing as truth. It's not just God is anything or whatever, but the, even the truth can be complex enough that we can, we can both be right if we say different things. Uh, so I would think if this kind of different experience happens at the highest levels of perception, you think about the, the human consciousness observing its creator has got to be like sort of the top conscious experience, but even there it can be different for people, how much more so in everything else. So those are my thoughts on it, and I hope you enjoyed them. I really want to hear your thoughts on it, though. After this break, we're going to get to your questions and comments, so write them in, anything you want to know more about, anything you want to offer your own thoughts on, an experience you want to share, get them in, write them wherever you are, YouTube, Facebook, and we'll grab them and answer them on the other side of this break. feedback time. Uh, this is cool. I like this part because it kind of expands the conversation, open it up. In the first part, we tried to have as much as we could of bringing in other sources, but it's really cool to get the live interaction with people. So let's take a look at our questions today. Our first one comes from Rich on YouTube. Did Swedenborg speak of seeing God in dreams, and how did he describe him? That's a great question. Um, I would say he probably spoke of it more than I'm aware of. I know Swedenborg... Okay, the phases of Swedenborg, as I understand them, are like this. Normal guy, initially, uh, up until he was like 50-something. He was just um, hanging out, writing scientific papers, publishing them, leading the scientific world. But he wasn't having sort of this direct spiritual contact. Then he had a phase that is is chronicled in what's called his Journal of Dreams. It's basically him describing his own dreams and sort of psychoanalyzing himself. And that was sort of his contact with the spiritual world at that time. It was these dreams that became progressively more and more real. Um, and then then he had sort of this breakthrough and began seeing um, the spiritual world regularly, in, in, as you would say, in a state of full wakefulness. So then when he was having visions of things like God, um, it was, you know, in not in dreams. Uh, but when he was in dreams, I believe during that phase, you know, he had visions of Jesus Christ which would be God in the human form. Um, I know that there's a lot of symbolism he describes in dreams. Uh, this is all a long way of me saying, I don't know, good question, but things like he saw this black dog that kept appearing in his dreams, and that was a symbol of his pride. And the, the, there were women that appeared in his dreams that meant different things. Um, so there was, you know, in dreams there can be even more layers of symbolism, I feel like. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to stop it there, uh, because I don't know for sure, and there are, probably are some specifics. But um, that's a great question, and hopefully somebody out there, if anyone out there knows, you can go ahead and write it in, and uh, we'll announce it on the air. But thanks very much for the question. All right, we're getting to our next one. 
This is from Teresa. God equals him, her, it. And what does Swedenborg tell about that? And what about the yogic practices of saluting the sun, male, hot aspect, and moon, the moon worship, the cool feminine presence? Okay, um, so Swedenborg, as I, there's a couple questions, and I'll try to remember them both. Swedenborg, as I, we said before, uh, said, we are human because God is human, Right? Um, so the things that we are are derivative of God. Um, so if we're talking about male, female, these are different ways of receiving God. So God is love and wisdom. Uh, so I don't know if you really want to break that down into a particular gender. There will be like usages, like Swedenborg will use the Father to describe divine love and the Son to de- describe the human manifestation, but those are just allegories. So I wouldn't, I would say that, you know, we have our best understanding of God, but what we are, it's a derivative of it. So to try to put God into male, female, something like that, that's kind of taking us and putting God in that we, we are kind of an offshoot of that. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. Um, and so you're talking about the, the sun and the moon, that yes, I was talking with uh, Stuart, one of our producers, earlier about uh, this, this sort of all the sun god in mythology, all these sun gods. And the sun gods are always male, except for in like the Japanese tradition, there was a female sun god. So it's an interesting thing, and yeah, that often the moon is equated with female. I don't know if Swedenborg really talks about um, that. You know, there is like, he does say that on a deep level, men have a deep love and women have a deep wisdom, you know, and the moon being a wisdom thing and the sun being a love thing. So there could be something in there. I don't know exactly how that all relates. Um, but also, oh man, I had a third thing. It was something about the the sun and the moon and how they all work together. Uh, but I've, I lost it. So hopefully that's enough um, that you feel like you got your money's worth out of it. Um and that's it's a it's a really good question, um, and you sort of he says that all these sort of mythologies that um, that come out like these these different historical gods goddesses all this stuff, this stuff is plugged into the bigger picture too, you know, um, it's not just like you know there's certain religious traditions that kind of discount everything that, that came before it comes to the side, but he talks about Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics and that kind of stuff. Um, coming from sort of the same source as this other religious stuff, that there is religious validity in it. In the hieroglyphics, you see the same kind of symbolism as in the Bible, etc. So if it's appearing in a lot of traditions, like you're saying, the sun and the moon, um, there's probably something to it. So that is my main thought on that. All right, as we ran a bit long with our... um, uh, content today, so we're going to have to cut it there, but if you guys get questions during the week or something like that, feel free to write them in there, and then we, we might even get to them on the uh, the next one. So, uh, we're going to sign off. I hope you guys really enjoyed this. Oh, I do want to say that if you want to support this program, help it grow, help it reach other people, we uh, do take donations. The Swedenborg Foundation is a nonprofit organization, 501c3. If you open up the description of this video, you can just Make a little tiny donation. Actually, it will be matched five to one through this grant that we got, so it would really help us out. Uh, So thanks for considering, and we're going to be back next week, exact same time, with a whole new subject to dig into. Thanks for hanging out.